0: There's something to be said for getting out and experiencing the world going and visiting different countries, seeing and learning more about other cultures and communities. The reality is, is that the more that we can expand our experiences and our horizons, so to speak, and really get outside of our own bubble, the more that we can learn to appreciate the beauty of this world that we live in, the more that we can appreciate the cultures that surround us and we can learn and see other people through God's eyes. My guest today has taken her own experience of living in six different countries and really gathering so many different experiences that have shaped who she is today and why she even started her business. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Deanna Cook, a global change maker, and development professional with extensive international experience in Asia, Africa, Europe, and North America. Her latest project, Leah Collective, is a sustainable accessory brand of minimalist pieces ethically made around the world. She loves yoga, travel, spending time outdoors with her puppies, and all things conscious living. My conversation with Deanna was just such a breath of fresh air, she was just amazing and just really encouraged and inspired me in so many different ways, and I know you're gonna love it too. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Deanna. Deanna, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I am just so excited to chat with you. And so I want to just dive right in and have you give us the Deanna 101. So tell us who you are, how you got started and how you got to where you are today.
1: Absolutely. So I grew up just outside of Toronto, Canada, but I was always curious and interested in the world around me, in learning languages and learning about other cultures, other countries. And when I was in grade school, I remember telling people, when I grow up, I want to be a lawyer for the United Nations without really knowing what that meant, other than the fact that I wanted to help people who lived all around the world. So when I went to university, I ended up doing a business degree, but it was a really interdisciplinary program where I was able to study international management, international development, French, Spanish, and I also had the opportunity to study abroad in Spain, which was amazing. But when I graduated, I still didn't know exactly what path I wanted my career to take. So I started off interning with a small nonprofit in Canada who was doing uh, women's entrepreneurship training programs for different women artisan groups around the world. When I was working there specifically, we were working with artisan groups in Bolivia. So that was an amazing experience and I learned so much, but when the internship ended, I ended up Flying across the world, I moved to Taiwan and I taught English for two years. So I really had the opportunity to dive into Asia and and learn Mandarin, and it was incredible. But I knew after working in the Taiwanese school system for a few years, I wanted to get back into the nonprofit space. So I ended up moving to Tanzania. And I worked as a marketing and fundraising coordinator for a small grassroots nonprofit that was working in the local community to support children and families affected by HIV, AIDS, and poverty. And I also had the opportunity to work with other small sustainable businesses in the community, a school program that they had as a part of the nonprofit, and some larger scale environmental initiatives there. So I lived in Tanzania for two years, and throughout this time, I was also experiencing a lot of transformation in my personal life. I was learning about what we purchase and what we consume and how that fits into the broader picture of global supply chains and what really happens to the products that we're buying and then discarding. And it was really shaping the way that I wanted to live personally and and the brands I wanted to support. So, I, I also started exploring how business could be used to affect change in the world. Something that I had studied in university, but hadn't really explored in my professional life up until then, because I mainly had worked with nonprofits and schools. So, before I could really flesh out too much of an idea there, I got an amazing opportunity to work on an international development project in Thailand. So at the end of 2018, I left Tanzania. <laughs> I moved back to Asia. Wow. Um, yeah. I, so I moved to Bangkok and I was working on a USAID project that was in education and employability in STEM fields across the lower Mekong sub-region. And when I was in Thailand, I was also learning a lot in my free time about Thai silk and Thai textiles and traditional handicrafts. And really starting to form an idea of what a business could look like that would connect all of the different pieces um, that had shaped my life thus far. Sustainable business and ethical products, global supply chains. And during that time, I met with production partners and started to co-create products that I wanted to see in my own life. So I left Thailand when my contract finished in mid-2019, and I moved to Costa Rica. (laughs) As my partner, he had gotten a job. He is a teacher by trade, and he had gotten a job at a school in Costa Rica. So I came to join him in Costa Rica, which is where I am now. And I continued working on my business, uh, the business that would later become Leah Collective, and continuing to work on the designs and on building the brand for a minimalist, sustainable product, accessory brand. I also uh, continued offering marketing and communication services for nonprofits and sustainable enterprises. And finally, last month, in, in April 2020, we launched pre-orders for Lea Collective for our first collection of sustainably made minimalist Thai silk scarves. So it's been a wild ride, but finally culminating in, you know, the experiences I've had in my life to date. And, you know, I've loved every
0: minute of it. Wow. Well, the fact that you have just lived in so many places, you've lived in what, six countries now? Yes. That's That's right. That is just amazing. And it's just, I love seeing how you as a child and you sharing how, when you were growing up, how you had this interest in other countries, other cultures, other languages, and now in adulthood, how that has kind of manifested itself. And it's just, I love, I love when I see stuff like that because it's just, you know, I'm always really fascinated when I ask questions, like, I love to ask questions of people to say like, you know, what are some of the things when you were a kid that like looking back, you go, Oh, okay. You know what? I see how that kind of, maybe sparked an interest into what I'm doing now or like what are some of the things that, you know, especially those in the in the ethical space. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, are you the one that had the lemonade stand? Like, are you the one that like, you know, printed out uh, like what I did was I, I would made a community newspaper, but I did it all by hand and would like make copies on a copier and like pass it out to my neighbors and things like that. So like, I look back and I'm like, yeah, that's just kind of showed who I was. I was a gatherer of information and that I wanted to share that information with other people. So, um, I just love seeing how that kind of manifested itself in you. So obviously there's a lot that I want to ask you about, but I'm just curious, like what are, um, you know, as somebody who has lived in six different countries, very different cultures, all of them, what has your experience of living in those different countries taught you and how has it sort of shaped the way you approach, you know, your personal brand?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I continue to reflect on because I think it's something that you never stop learning. You know, there's always more that you can learn from from where you live and your communities and your surroundings. I really think that it's given me a greater understanding of our broader systems that are in place. It's really helped me with systems thinking and design thinking, you know, not just looking at a problem in terms of the immediate impact with what might happen directly as a result, but trying to put it in a larger context. Like for example, something that I really noticed and learned about living in Tanzania was the secondhand supply chain industry and all of the clothes that get sent abroad kind of a side effect of our rapid consumption rate that has developed in the U.S., constantly throwing out clothes that we feel are not trendy anymore, even if they're in perfectly good condition. How does that impact maybe a local seamstress on the ground in Tanzania or in Kenya? So it's really enabled me to try and look at things in terms of a global context, I think it's helped me to become a better listener, more empathetic, and also a lot more humble. When you live in other cultures, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to know what's happening a lot of the time. You might not understand the language right away. And I think that's a beautiful thing to be able to, to listen and to learn from others and to, you know, come with an open mind.
0: Yeah. I, have also been really, um, I've thought a lot about the whole secondhand supply chain thing. And I, I, I appreciate that that's something that you've brought up because I don't think it's something that we talk about enough. And we talk a lot about our consumption and we talk a lot about our just, you know, kind of the fast fashion movement and waste and all those kinds of things. But for so many people, I don't think they really consciously realize where that stuff goes when you get rid of it and that's a mm-hmm. conversation i have with my kids a lot because my kids are 6 and 4 and so i try to explain to them i'm like look when you you know get something out and then you throw it away like it doesn't just disappear <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. it, i realize that for a lot of us there's this out of sight out of mind mentality but it goes somewhere and it it has a life after you're done with it. And, Mm -hmm. um, I was most personally affected by that. And I'm glad that you brought up Kenya because I have been to Kenya, um, quite a few times. And one of, for me, one of the most transformative experiences for me was on a trip that I took to Kenya in January of 2017 we visited the Dandora dump, which is um, the largest dump site in East Africa. And it might at this point be the largest in Africa, but I know it's the largest in East Africa. And um, it's in Nairobi or outside of Nairobi. And it is as far as the eye can see, it's just waste, trash Mm -hmm. everywhere. And walking through there and just literally seeing in front of me and walking on our waste, our trash, the things that i saw and then the people that are making a living from the things that are dumped into the dump site, it was really jarring for me. And yeah. i really began to think about, okay, how am i being a responsible consumer of things and how am i res- you know getting rid of things responsibly? And then just seeing, you know, when you drive through the markets there. I mean, you know, outside of Kibera, which is, you know, one of the largest slums mm-hmm. driving outside of Kibera, you have all these markets where it's just piles and piles and piles of our clothes. Right. And I'm like, this is, not, this isn't sustainable. This isn't sustainable. Yeah. So I guess, I guess all that to say that, um, you know what are some of the things that once that you really began to kind of grasp hold of that and this became that particular issue became something that you were learning more about? What are some of the things that you began to do in your own life and as you especially as you live internationally like as you travel like what are some of the things that you've sort of implemented since kind of learning about all this?
1: yeah, uh, there have been a number of things, and especially I like how you framed the question in terms of how I travel, because often the choices that I make when I am on the road or when I'm living abroad have to be different than if I was living at home. For example, when I am living abroad, online shopping is not as easy because some places, you know, just the cost of shipping, if I was buying from a Canadian store, the cost of shipping it to where I am in Costa Rica is just exorbitant and it might get lost in the mail. So if I really wanted to buy something, I would send it to my, you know, my family's house in Canada. And then I just have to pick it up next time I I go visit Canada. So in terms of my consumption, it really has lowered what I'm consuming uh, because I can't get it as easily, or I might not have access to Mm. things as easily. But more importantly, it's reframed the way that I take care of what I already own and the way I dispose of things that maybe are no longer serving me. Mm. So instead of you know putting something in the trash bin um, or, or just putting it roadside and, and hoping that someone will pick it up to donate... Just maybe holding on to things for that much longer, finding new ways to repurpose them, to reuse them or rewear them. And when I can, uh, instead of you know, Buying from Amazon and shipping it to wherever I am in the world, trying to buy something local from a small business, mm-hmm. whether that's a small Tanzanian business or a small Thai business. I love shopping to support small businesses in the places that I'm living, and also makers and designers there. So I mean, it's not a black and white thing and I am far from perfect. I think, you know, yeah. anyone who says they're perfect is is
0: lying. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> But it's just being conscious of, yeah. you know, what is coming into your life? How are you taking care of what's already there?
0: And, you know, what happens after it leaves your home? Yeah, I actually it's it's funny because that's why I think I actually like, although I think it has been twisted in a lot of ways. I actually like the term conscious consumerism because it's not saying don't buy things. It's not saying don't get that cute shirt you like. Like it's not saying mm-hmm. that. It's saying be aware of, be conscious of the purchases that you make. Be aware of um, how you are, you know, disposing of things. It's just it's it's an awareness, and it's because so often, like if it's ignorance is bliss, then people are just going about their lives, you know, without making any changes whatsoever. But when you just become aware of, when you become conscious of something, you just, you think twice. And that's all, you know, I, I don't expect perfectionism, I I say this all the time. I still shop at Target, guys. Like, it just happens. But, you know, but at the same time, like, I don't go into Target and just mindlessly buy things. I'm much Mm -hmm. more aware of my purchases. I'm conscious of my purchases and I'm not buying unnecessary things. And if I can, I purchase it from a small business or an ethical business first. And then if I can't find it and I can't find it secondhand or whatever I need, then I'll buy it from Target. You know what I mean? But there's a step by step process that I go through before. I get to that point
1: yeah for sure like and as a small business owner as a small brand owner I of course I'm not saying never buy anything ever right but I want someone I want customers to love what they're buying mm-hmm. to really take care of it and invest in pieces that they're going to treasure I would never want to push product on someone who you know doesn't really care about what they're buying or, or where it came from and you know might just Throw it out next year. I, I think it's just about being more mindful in our in our purchase habits and really yeah embodying those kind of best principles of conscious consumerism like yeah. you talked about.
0: I agree. I agree. Now you know you obviously you launched your business uh, Leah Collective. You launched it in April 2020. <laughs> we all know what's been going on, especially April 2020 was right in the the heat. Of things, and obviously, we you know by the time this airs, who knows what has happened. But um, you know, really, you're launching it in the midst of COVID nineteen and a potential economic recession. What has it been like launching a business amidst such uncertainty?
1: Yeah, this was a decision that I weighed uh, before going ahead with the launch, and I do have peers owners of other new brands that decided to postpone their launches. But um, unfortunately, right now, they don't know when they might be able to launch. And, you know, we don't know when things or if things will return back to a state of normal. So in making the decision to go ahead with the launch, I really based it on the fact that we had been preparing for the launch for a year. We had everything ready to go for the launch and our production partners in Thailand had expected this order. And really that was the main factor that I looked at. It's not just about me personally, although I'm speaking as the face of the brand right now, there are so, so many people who have made this come to life. And if I tell my partners in Thailand, I'm going to be placing an order, um I'm doing a pre-sale this spring, and that doesn't come, they've lost a significant chunk of income. So although the launch was, you know, smaller than I would have hoped had there not been a global pandemic. It was important to me to still go ahead with it because of the other people in our supply chain and, you know, because of what they represent and and how we can continue to support them through our purchases.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point and something, a conversation that I've tried to bring up a lot over the last few months. Um, I did a solo podcast episode back in, yeah, I guess it was April, and all about just kind of how you can support ethical fair trade businesses during this time, because what I think a lot of people don't realize, and it's a conversation I want to keep having is that you know what makes I mean, yes, all businesses are struggling right now, small businesses are struggling, but there's a unique aspect of ethical and fair trade businesses in that they have artisan partners that they have made commitments to. and where a lot of the you're we're seeing in the news a lot of the Larger brands and even other, you know, businesses are canceling their orders. They're canceling their wholesale orders. Boutiques are not placing orders. All these kinds of things. So, you know, you have factories and stuff that are getting their orders cut or orders canceled. All those kinds of things. From all of the business owners, the ethical business owners I know, they're fulfilling those orders. There's mm-hmm. they're not letting their art, artisan partners down, and they are continuing to place orders with their artisan partners despite the uncertainty of whether or not they can sell it on the other end. And some people may or may not agree with that, but um, it's something I really admire about people in the ethical space because they're just like, you know what, I, I made a commitment and I'm going to follow through. And then I'm just going to kind of trust that it's going to be okay in the end. And so I think that's a really important conversation to have where you just said, you know, like we were ready. We would placed the order. Our artisan partner was counting on this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's tough for everyone out there, but we're just taking it day by day and yeah. doing what we can and, and trying to support, um, the small businesses in our network.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now for those that have not checked out Leah collective yet. So I mean, so you, you shared with us that they're beautiful handmade, uh, silk minimalist scarves, So talk about the design. Um, They are scarves that can be worn 27 different ways or something like that. So um, tell us about that and kind of how that came about and, and what the product is. Yes, of course. So we are launching, we launched with a very
1: simple collection. You know, it's one product design in three different neutral minimalist colors. And I worked with the partners to find the right colors and the weight of the silk and the weave and the size for the scarf. And the goal in creating this product is really to create something that is uh, an accessory that you can invest in, that you can wear for years and years to come in so many different ways. A scarf that won't go out of style, like you said, you can wear it in your hair, you can wear it around your neck, you can wear it on a bag. There are so many different ways you can tie it and style it. It can dress up an outfit, dress down an outfit. And when I was doing my research, I found that most of the silk scarves of that size are brightly colored patterns and prints. And those are beautiful. They're stunning. They're like pieces of artwork, really. And a lot of designer brands, you know, the French fashion and Italian fashion houses have scarves like that that have been in their collections for decades. But to me, those are more statement pieces because of the designs. And I'm someone who's a very uh, minimalist dresser. I wear a lot of solid colors. And, um, I was really looking for a scarf that was just a solid neutral pattern or print. And I couldn't find one. I couldn't find something that I could wear every single day in so many different ways with everything in my closet. Um, and so I, I wanted to create that, and so that was something that we worked together to kind of co-create this beautiful, minimalist, neutral piece that's not going to go out of fashion, and um, hopefully it's something that people can treasure.
0: Yeah, they are absolutely beautiful, and I I'm with you. It's funny. I used to be somebody who wore a ton of bright colors, and now I really find myself being drawn a lot more to just kind of neutrals. And I mean, I still will wear color, but in general, like I wear a lot of Neutrals, a lot of things that are more solid or pretty neutral prints. And then I will dress things up with an accessory. And, you know, whether it's colorful earrings or a bag or a shoe, something like that. And yeah, I mean, I love having, you know, an accessory that is that can go with multiple things. And so that just really allows, you know, you to be able to really kind of customize your wardrobe to what fits your style.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was that was the goal here.
0: Well, they're absolutely beautiful. I'm really excited for you. Um, do you already... I mean, I realize you just launched, uh, but are you already kind of dreaming of what is to come? Yes. Uh, so for right now, I
1: definitely want to stay in the accessory space, but I... You know, I really would like to explore a warmer kind of uh, textile, so like a winter scarf, something a little thicker. I would love to get into the hat space. I would love to work with handbags. These are, you know, big dreams uh, for the future, but I'm exploring what that might look like and different groups that we can partner with in other countries for future collections. Unfortunately, I probably can't travel right now to, you know, work with anyone in person. But I think that this is a turning point where we can reimagine what global partnerships might look like, even if we do have to do more work remotely.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people realize enough to just like, that's another concern I've heard from ethical brand owners is the lack of being able to travel to meet with their artisan partner groups. And so they're just kind of relying on technology to check on, you to work on product design and development. And But then of course, we've got shipping issues and all of the things, all of the things. Well, I'm really excited for you. I think it's, um, your work is, is beautiful. And, um, I mean, you know, but obviously the, like you said at the beginning, like your brand is really a culmination of years and years of years of work in this space and travel. And, you know, there's just so much behind it. And I think it's really exciting to see when, when somebody pursues something that they've clearly been working on for a long time. So congratulations. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, Okay, well, for the listeners, I will have all of uh, Deanna's information, obviously links to the uh, Leah Collective in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Uh, Deanna, before we go, it's uh, time for the get to know you round where we just ask some fun get to know you questions. So are you cool with that? I'm excited. Let's do it. Awesome. So I wanted to just add this question in here at the last minute. Out of six countries that you have lived in, which one is your favorite? Or is it even possible to pick one?
1: Cool. I, I feel like it's impossible to pick one country overall, but I could pick countries per category. So like, you know, Taiwan, I loved the food mm-hmm. and Spain. I loved the ease of travel to other beautiful European countries. Yeah. Uh, Costa Rica, I love the laid back beach lifestyle. Uh, Tanzania, I loved the community that we made you know, every country has its own pros and, yeah. and cons. And yeah, I, I love different countries for different things.
0: That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I've, um, I've been to, I have not been to any of those places except for Costa Rica. I have been to Costa Rica and it's a beautiful country and just the people there are amazing. The food is amazing. It's yeah. So that's, yeah. um, I'm glad that you were there during a global pandemic. Cause I bet you, you can just, can you like go, how far are you from the beach?
1: Well, actually the beaches have been closed. Oh, um, no. Yeah, I'm like a five minute walk from the beach. So, oh. and we have two dogs. So normally we take the dogs, go to the beach every day, but um, you know, they're trying to prevent mass gatherings. So Hopefully they'll open up again soon and can we can like enjoy look at the them nature. from afar. You can be like, yeah.
0: "Oh, beach, it's so nice to see you." <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I know. Awesome. Okay, my next question is, do you have any unusual talents? Ooh. I guess
1: I've tried to learn the language in every place that I have lived, so I, you know, can can get by in several different languages. So that's, I guess, not, not very common,
0: yeah, I, can I love speak. that. I love language. Love, love, love languages. Um, mm-hmm. I learn, I'm learning like seven on Duolingo right now. So. <laughs> oh yes. Love Duolingo. Yes. It's, amazing. Awesome. it's awesome. I mean, you really uh-huh. can. I mean, obviously people are like, well, you can't be conversational. And I was like, I mean, I've been to Kenya and I can speak Swahili pretty well. And I learned mostly on Duolingo. I refine it when i'm there and so i'm mm-hmm. able to like practice and and then learn more like kind of slang and things like that cuz they don't have yeah, a lot of yeah. slang on duolingo so you're speaking much more formally like i didn't learn until probably like my fourth trip to kenya that you don't say jambo don't say jambo like at least oh, in kenya yeah. they're like cuz like everybody's like they teach you that jambo is hello and they're like no 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 don't say jambo like nobody yeah, says Jumbo. yeah that's
1: like a mazungu thing yes it's a mazungu thing like- so it's like basically being like
0: hello i'm a white american like that yeah, is <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's jambo they're like yeah nobody says jambo so <laughs> it's just fun then so then i like learn kind of the more like slang ways of being like hey what's up sasa um or mm-hmm. something like that and then when you say it and they they're like Oh wait, what? <laughs> so they uh, they love it. So yeah, um, no, it's so fun. It is really fun. Okay, um, what is something that is really important to you? Obviously, you have a lot of things that are really important to you. But is there anything that's really important to you that you never really get a chance to talk about?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. Well, something that comes to mind right now, I, I just mentioned, but I don't talk about it in my professional life at all. But my partner and I are we have two rescue dogs. One we adopted when we lived in Tanzania. One we recently adopted in Costa Rica. So um, I think like animals, you know, adopting dogs and and rescues, uh, that's really important to me. And, you know, they're a part of our family. And I think in a lot of the countries I've lived in, there's a lot of stray animals. So there's a lot of need for that. But yeah, it's you know, not, not part of my professional life, but one of my personal passions for sure.
0: Yes. That's great. Um, we also have two pups here at home. They are getting up in age though. So I'm praying that they hang on. I think, well, one of our dogs, my husband and I are convinced is basically like the dog form of a cockroach, like (laughs) in that, like I don't think anything's going to ever kill her. I think she's going to actually like the world's going to end and it's going to be cockroaches and tater. Like that's, what's going to be left Cause tater is the dog that like, she should have died like 18 times already. Like she is the dog that just gets into stuff Uh that she shouldn't get into or has been, you know, like, killed snakes and bitten by snakes and oh wow you know a possum I'm just trying to think like all the things that she has gotten into she like ate an entire container of potting soil one time like I mean just <laughs> the things that she has gotten into that we were like that's it that's it she's gonna die like she's gonna die this time and somehow miraculously <laughs> she is still going strong so she's invincible um, in the end, it's going to be cockroaches and tater. We are convinced. Um, yeah. and then our other dog, Audrey, I'm like, she's mostly deaf. I'm pretty sure she's going blind. Her back legs are giving out. I'm like my mm-hmm. sweet Audrey, but she's, she's a little old lady. So she's, yeah. um, but yeah, there's. fun d- fact
1: about our, our Tanzanian dog. We didn't yeah. name him. Um, but his name is Kidogo,
0: which oh, yeah. like, it
1: doesn't even really make sense for a dog name. We didn't name him. It was, a. Uh, another tourist that gave him that name because so they thought it was a funny Swahili word. But for anyone listening, Kidogo is like a little bit or like a little of something. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't really make sense for a dog name, <laughs> but he already was responding to it when we adopted him. And so now it's just a fun little story to tell like about it. our Cantonian dog.
0: Kidogo. Kidogo. I love it. Um, okay. If someone were to play you in a movie, who would you want it to be? Ooh. Dakota Fanning, I think. Oh, that's a good one. You know, I just heard her and her sister were just cast into the, or cast to play in the movie, um, in the Nightingale, which is the book that's going to be, or the movie based off of the book by Kristen Hanna. I think the casting was actually announced in like December, but I read the book in January and it was really good. And so, as soon as I saw the casting of Dakota and Elle Fanning, I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. So, I'm excited. Yeah, no, I can't wait to see that. that. Yes. Um, Okay. And then, my last question is What does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? To me,
1: running a business with purpose isn't about perfection, it's not about having all the answers, but it's about continuing to show up anyway. It's about every day doing what you can to make the world a better place than when you found it, even if you might not know the right path all the time, but just continuing to try to create impact and, you know,
0: work with others along the way. Yes. Yes. That's so good. Uh, Deanna, this has just been such a joy and a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me all the way from Costa Rica and, um, congratulations again on the launch of your business and, um, know that you have a, a lot of people that are just rooting for you and rooting for your success. And, um, just thank you for the good that you're doing in the world. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. Okay, friend, I would love to know what you loved about this episode or maybe something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Molly or at businesswithpurposepodcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag businesswithpurposepodcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener of the show, Thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out, and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe button. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you just take a moment to leave a review for me? Leaving a review really just helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. As always, this show is produced by the amazing team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.